So this is called in sort of the um, history of the Christian church, Palm Sunday. This is the beginning of Passion Week. Um, we have something uh, in the Bible text that we celebrate, or the Christian church does, called the Triumphal Entry. We're going to look at that. But um, let's read. Let's look at this overhead. Is that picture cheesy, or is that okay? Is that okay? Okay. Let's don't vote on it. I might get my feelings hurt. But what you see is a picture of the triumphal entry, which was Jesus, big old Jesus, riding a little donkey. And there's a whole. Is big old Jesus wrong? Okay. <laughs> I, come on, I'm, I'm just riding a donkey. And there's a whole history, um, there's a whole history behind that. And I want to look at that because one of the things I really love to do is discover, uncover, and rediscover uh, what God's really like. And there's never been a time I've discovered or remembered something about the Lord that hadn't really made me happy, hadn't really just done something to me. So I hope we do that, some of that this morning. So, but, um, the episode represented here by that picture, um, was actually the fulfillment of a prophecy between 450 and 500 years earlier. And from the biblical record, the apostles had no idea while it was going on that it was the fulfillment of a prophecy. Because the, the, the amazing thing about biblical prophecy is they really do happen no matter what people even think. And so let, I want to read this and I want us to read this together. This next little slide is that prophecy out of Zechariah chapter nine. So, Let's do this. Why don't we just stand up together? We're going to read this out loud. Out loud means sound comes from your voice. (laughs) You ready? Okay. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation. Lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. The battle bow shall be cut off. He shall speak peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you also, because of the blood of your covenant, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to the stronghold, you prisoners of hope. Even today, I declare that I will restore double to you. Okay, why don't you grab a seat. At a strategic time in Jesus' ministry, he did what we saw, both by the picture and by what we read. He rode a donkey down the steep pitch of the Mount of Olives and into and through the streets of Jerusalem to overwhelming acclaim. 
the Jewish historian Josephus has actually said it was not rare Passover week for there to be between two and three million people in Jerusalem. And the multitude, so who knows how many, and, and when you study the scripture, actually this story is told in all four gospels. It's pretty interesting, but as I was reading it over the weekend, we find out that there was a multitude behind Jesus and then there was a multitude in front of Jesus. And so this was a huge, huge crowd of people. Could have numbered in the hundreds of thousands. They'd been hearing for years um, about this miracle worker. Uh, he had created, you know, just um, just a huge amount of conversation throughout that whole part of the world. And what happened was this, the multitude, as he was coming down the steep slope of the Mount of Olives and then up into Jerusalem, they were throwing these palm fronds and clothing on the ground the whole way up. I mean, there were thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And he was riding through that crowd with with this donkey. And um, five days later, he would be dead. And he would be dead because his popularity decreased over that five-year period. Now, that's pretty crazy. It's absolutely amazing. And that alone should teach all of us not to pay attention to two kinds of press, good press and bad press. Those are the only kinds you should not pay attention to because neither one of them are utterly accurate. So um, I, wanted to, I wanted to read this story in Luke 19, and then I have a number of different comments to make, and I've got about half an hour. I think we can get through this, but... Um, I want, I want to do this first though. Do we still have the verse up on the screen there? Yeah, you ought to leave that up there the rest of the morning. I think before I read the passage in Luke, I want to make some comments on that Zechariah 9, 9 through 12 passage and Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Now, it, it, it's really a lot better if you read the Bible with someone else. If you read it with the Holy Spirit. Because I've read this stuff. I've been saved almost 50 years. I've read this how many, how many times? But things begin to stand out to you that are very meaningful. Why would it be significant that they would write, your king is coming to you? And it's because every significant, important political figure or ruler expects you to come to them. You have to hat in hand show up at their office, at their desk, go through their protocol. But what you're seeing here is a different kind of king. You're seeing a completely different kind of king. 
you see a king who is willing to come to us. I looked for this yesterday and I couldn't find it, but C.S. Lewis has this, um, there's a C.S. Lewis quote about the nature of God, and I, I don't have it accurately, but I know the sense of it. He basically says, God is so humble and so kind and so good that he will accept us even when he's our very last choice. And see, this kingdom and Christianity, true biblical Christianity is different from so much or even most of what goes on in the world. Um, you think about the political climate. You know, Jesus is not one of these kind of leaders that we've been hearing about both sides of the aisle and anywhere in between. He is completely different. He comes to you. He comes to us. The king of the universe comes to us. It's amazing. That really, really caught me. One of the problems with um, people in authority, uh, and it's human nature, it's not, you know, I'm not pot-shotting anybody, but um, the corruption that happens to people who are in charge, the old adage is power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And one of the problems with power and being a powerful person or influential person is you insulate yourself from uh, reality, really. You insulate yourself. You have the capacity, the money, the resource to not live like everyone else lives. In other words, it's, it's not... Um, it is a fact that our current Congress is not participating in Obamacare. They have something better. What's up with that? They don't send their kids to public school. They want to tell you what to teach your kids. They send theirs to private school. What's up with that? It's human nature. If I was a senator, I'd probably do it too. Think it was a good thing. I mean, you know, but it's human nature. This is a different kind of leader. This is a different kind of king. And honestly, it's the kind of king everyone would want if they really knew what he was like, except for the people whose place he would take. Now, <laughs> when you read the New Testament, you read the life of Jesus, those are the only people Jesus had any problems with, were people who were afraid Jesus was going to get their place, get their stuff. See, we have a king, we have a leader that's not like any other leader. And you can't elect him. We can elect the wrong people. Who knows how many times we've done it. You don't elect Jesus king, he was born king. You can't make him king. You, you can make him king of your life. You do have that choice, but you don't make him king. He is king, but he's a different kind. And the gospel uh, is, is not American. There, there's a difference between being a citizen of heaven and being a citizen of the United States of America. 
You see, when you become a citizen of the kingdom, you have uh, fellow members in cultures, in races, in, in all over the world. That you, whether you know it or not, have a, oh man, have a closer tie to than you do have with fellow citizens in, in your own nation. We just don't see that yet. We don't really understand it. But that really is true. So we see, behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation. And, and when I think about him being just, that's really what everybody wants. I mean, you see, uh, all kind of organizations and groups concerned about their own crowd and people group they've been mistreated. What everybody really wants is real justice. So we ha- we have a king that when this thing is said and done, he will inaugurate a level of justice that has never really been seen. Now, and 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 the the amazing thing is he is not disconnected from the human condition. Actually, what our king did was participate in the human condition at the weakest, most dreadful, in the in the weakest, most painful, most dreadful way possible because he knew that was the only way to do several things. One, it was the only way to crack open our culture and the world culture for God to really get in. It's a spiritual concept. But it was also so that we would know he understands who we are and what we go through. You see, he was incorruptible morally, but he experienced moral corruption on the cross. He he understood every aberration of sexuality or fraud or deceit he encountered he experienced he felt the burden the weight the sensation in some kind of way on the cross he himself became sin for us we have a different kind of ruler come on and we haven't seen that about him sufficiently it would it would absolutely revolutionize it would cause us to love him Dreadfully more, that's not the right, but I mean just so much more that um, he's amazing. He's just in having salvation. It means he's endowed with salvation. It means he can impart it. When you meet Jesus, he can impart to you a savingness of your condition. He has the capacity to reverse your condition. Whatever you're going through, he has that capacity that's who your king is. He's been endowed. It's not honorary. It's participatory. You know, they're honorary doctorates. Then they're the ones you earn that are yours by right. He has salvation to dispense, to give away, not just to talk about. He can endure it. He can, when you get touched by the power of the Spirit of God, He has the power to reverse your condition in a moment in time or gradually. Moment in time is a miracle, gradually is a healing. That's who your king is. Now, he's lowly. I thought that meant probably meek, 
lowly, the word lowly. I thought maybe it meant um, humble. But actually, the word lowly means the kind of lowliness mentioned in Isaiah 53. It means miserable or suffering. And so when Jesus comes as king, he comes as a representative sufferer for all humanity. It's amazing. Behold, your king is coming to you, it says. He is just and having salvation. The whole world is crying out for justice. You know, let me, let me jump over here. This, this, this is something. Jesus wept over Jerusalem. But when you see in the Gospels, I'll just be jumping around, this story of the triumphal entry, it also includes Jesus weeping, weeping over Jerusalem and Jesus cleansing the temple. All of those are part and parcel of this same, same story. But it says, as Jesus drew near, he saw this city and he wept over it, saying, if you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground. They will not leave one stone upon another. Why? Because God's not good? No. It's because a human condition is rotten. And when he came to do something about it, there were people who didn't pay attention to him. Do you hear that? And so what's Jesus' attitude? Why they get what they deserve? No, no, no. He's weeping. He's weeping because people who could have averted a disastrous future missed it because they didn't know who he was. Now, in, in 33 AD, whenever the date was, there was one person like that. There was one person, and if you did not know who he was, where he was, even if you were not like in that geographical location, you couldn't avert what was coming. But see, the glory of the new covenant is now by the power of the Holy Spirit. If people can listen to any single one of us, they can avert problems and difficulties coming their way that if they miss, if they miss that connection, it's going to cost them something. Is that, is that making sense? If they miss that connection. Well, what are you saying, Robin? I'm saying Jesus' familiarity is a serious problem. I heard, heard a guy speak on this last week and it so spoke to me. Jesus' brothers missed who he was. How could you grow up in the same household with God and not know it? You can. That's the point. You can. You can miss. One of the problems with people like me is at times it'd be real easy to dismiss who I am. You, You could come to a church like this and I could, you know, John Mark could stand up and say, well, you know, my dad, you ask him to, what time it is, he tells you how to build a watch. You know. Which is true. But you could ask somebody else, right? You came to me. This is the way it works. 
but you could dismiss me when I may have something that would change your life. But because you are knowing me after your cultural concepts, instead of from a sensitivity to God and what God wants to do in your life, you could miss part of your destiny because you dismiss me. And it's not about me. I'm just being an, an example. I'm not trying to scare people. Oh, we better go to his church. We don't want to dismiss. No, 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 no. No, but you, you need to be able to recognize God in a sense when he comes in a package you're not used to. He will do it. Trust me. Luke 24 wrote to Emmaus, he will do it. Oh, well. You know, I'm not listening to him. He's not a Baptist. Well, I'm not listening to him. He's, he's not Roman Catholic. You can't, you can't be, you got to say, Lord, help sensitize me. And it's the Lord's prerogative. He could send you somebody that fits all your prerequisites for who to listen to. But he probably won't. He probably just sends somebody who's available. So. Now. Riding on a colt. When you look in the Gospels, you discover Jesus had said to, to the apostles, he said, um, go into the village. Jesus tells you to do weird stuff. Is that okay? It must be, he does it. That doesn't mean some people do weird stuff and blame it on Jesus. Those people make me nervous. But the really cool, weird stuff I like. But when Jesus tells you to do weird stuff, it works. When you're just coming up with it, it doesn't work. Jesus says, go into the, vi the village opposite you, where as you enter, you'll find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you loosing it? This you shall say it to him, because the Lord has need of it. And so off these guys go, and it happens. They find the cult, just the way Jesus said. Actually, if you read all of them, it was actually uh, a donkey and a young cult, young donkey. They got ready to untie it. Somebody said, what are you doing? They said, the Lord said he needed this. And they go, oh, okay. It sounds like a Jedi mind trick. Leave that alone. The Lord needs you. Take that with you, you know. <laughs> so really a Jedi mind trick. We find it first in the New Testament, right? <laughs> Whatever. So our king comes not on a horse, not with chariots, not with an entourage, not with fanfare. He comes riding on an unbroken donkey, or another term is ass. I sort of like that. Being from the South, that's one of my favorite words for some reason. But <laughs> It's in the Bible. I'm using it. But the donkey or the ass is 
a more vicious animal than a horse. So Jesus says, hey, I've got this great idea. There's this animal that's never been ridden who's got a really mean disposition. And he's got a child, a baby or whatever, foal. So really sensitive about that, you know. Go get him, bring him over here. I think that's what I'm going to ride. Can you imagine riding an unbroken donkey? And, and you're a big old character. I mean, all the pictures show Jesus was, he was way bigger. I mean, he needed, you know, he needed a big animal to ride. He was a grown, he was an adult male. And he's got his legs drooped over the side and this donkey is going through. And there are hundreds of thousands of screaming people. Don't you think that would bother a normal donkey? How about a donkey upon whom no one had ever ridden? But that's our king. He is risky. He has control over nature when he wants to. It's amazing. I like that. And it's an emblem of, of lowliness. See, riding in a horse would represent a sign of earthly power and exaltation, not the mode or the substance of the kingdom of Jesus. And then we see in verse 10, he says, I will cut off from the, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. You know what Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying, when it's all said and done, there will not be on planet earth that kind of leadership anymore. That's really what he's saying. It hasn't happened yet, but it, his intent is to have a kingdom ruled by a monarch worthy of all creation. That's who Jesus is. He says, I will cut off the chariot. He's going to speak peace to the nations. And what that really means is he will say things that will cause nations to be at peace. There's a point where his dominion, it says there in verse 10, shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. It's a description of a kingdom that has no end, that has no bounds, that is a just kingdom. That is a righteous kingdom. But the only way a kingdom could have come that way would have been through who Jesus really was and is and how he came and what he did to make himself eligible to rule that way. His eligibility requirements weren't how many people willing to show up at a poll. His eligibility requirement was, could he live a sinless life in the midst of a corrupt culture? His eligibility requirements were, could he suffer unjustly, unrighteously, and never defend himself, never speak on his own behalf, and be willing to bear a horrible death for the salvation of the entire human race. Those were his eligibility requirements. He had to be more than born in the U.S. to run for office. 
Uh, that's our king. That's, that's the one that cares about us. That's the one that's just and has salvation. Now, it goes on to say there in Zechariah, because of the blood of your covenant, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. That speaks about the blood covenant. That, that there's a direct um, connection to Passover and all the covenantal theology you may have heard about. I'm not going to get into that right now, but the end result is I'll set your prisoners free. And verse 12, return to the stronghold, you prisoners of hope. Even today, I declare that I will restore double to you. Let me just say this. When you see Jesus accurately, it's virtually impossible to be hopeless. Can I say that again? When you see Jesus accurately and know him accurately, it's virtually impossible to be hopeless. How many of you know what I'm talking about? He has the capacity to change. He has the past to release. He has the capacity to help you think straight. Because if you're hopeless, you're not thinking straight. Anyway. I wanted to go through that Zechariah portion because some of uh, it, it, the picture of what kind of king we have is so different from human governments. Uh, if Jesus was in charge of Facebook and every on Facebook knew him accurately, there wouldn't be near as many comments on Facebook political comments. See, so much of what goes on there is, is the, and I don't, I don't fault them, but it's looking for human solutions and being frustrated at people, other people may vote for that you don't think will provide that solution. Let me say this, none of them, no one on either side of the aisle or independent will solve the deep condition of the human heart. You know, the wonderful thing about Jesus is this. If he can bring you the kind of peace that it doesn't matter if you're in trouble. Because if trouble's not in you, it doesn't matter if you're in trouble. What I mean by that is, if, if the Prince of Peace is reigning, if you know him to the degree that you have that internal place of rest, it doesn't matter about your external circumstances. And you become the kind of people or the kind of person who can help other people who don't get it yet. That's really what we need to understand. We will go through things that have nothing to do with us whatsoever. We will suffer things at times that have nothing to do with us whatsoever. It's about somebody else. Are you willing to go through in your life for other people's benefit. See, that's what kind of king you have. And that's what kind of kingdom he wants to release. A kind of kingdom where you will suffer things you don't deserve so that you can help others who are going through things they maybe deserve or don't deserve, but don't know how to handle it. See, that's what it is to be a part of a community. And see, everyone in this room needs to develop community. You're not going to develop it here this morning 
This morning you have an opportunity maybe to meet somebody you can develop it with. But when it's all said and done, most solutions in life don't happen in the counselor's office. They happen in a friend's house who helps you process your turmoil and speak into that turmoil in a way that makes it go away or subside. We Part of being a real believer is having a community where you can process your life. You're not going to get it listening to me all the time. You should, but you're not capable of really getting with the program. No, I'm joking. You know, it doesn't work that way. We're here to say life is there. You have to still live it. You have to put into practice what you hear. You need a place to communicate it. And it's not on the phone with me, ladies and gentlemen. Because, you know, no body, human body has all the parts coming out of one central location. That would be a monster. I don't want to be a monster. No, the body of Christ is a many-membered body. People are joined where they're joined. It might be where they want. It may not be. You know, this whole thing about, I'm not going to say that. I caught myself. But let the Lord, <laughs> let the Lord lead. <laughs> Thinking about Jesus dying five days later. It really speaks of the fickle nature of humanity. You know, I want people. To, I want people to like me mostly. I don't like it when they don't. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. You know what I'm saying? You, you, it's so important not to live your life um, with everybody telling you when you can be happy and when you can't be happy. And you're going to mess up, you know. But paying attention to everybody's opinion about you is a huge mistake, whether it's good or bad. You really need to know the Lord. You need to get that from God. The fickle nature of humanity. On Palm Sunday, hundreds of thousands of people were cheering Jesus, as was prophesied in Psalm 118. It's another messianic fulfillment. By Friday... Those same people had been convinced that the best thing that could happen to Jesus was to crucify him. But Jesus said something in John 2 that I think we should all pay attention to. Verse 24. But Jesus did not entrust himself to men because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of man for he knew what was in man. Now you have to trust people at certain levels. You know what I'm saying? It's just the way it works. But then there's this place where your, your basic foundational trust is in the Lord. John Mark mentioned it, mentioned it this morning. I thought that was a tremendous insight. If he had functioned out of insecurity and kept certain, I believe there were certain uh, push through and uh, certain dates, he would have lost the real opportunities God had for him. If he had been insecure if he had not trusted God by saying no 
he would never have the opportunity later to say yes to something God had for him. Does that make sense? You really need to know how to trust the Lord. It's important. Be established in his love. Um, This may slip right by you, but... The tree of the knowledge of good and evil is one tree with two different fruit on it, and original sin came from eating from that tree. But one tree has two fruit. What does that mean? It means if you eat, and this is what we like to eat, we like to eat from the, from the tree of the knowledge of good. But the trouble is that fruit is not just good, it's good and evil. Well, Robin, what are you saying? Well, what I'm saying is, you can't live by what you always think is good because you really don't know. You just have a concept. And you can't always determine. When I'm saying evil, I'm not talking about doing evil. I'm talking about, and when you go through even difficult things at the hands of evil people, if you know how to navigate you can get as much benefit out of that. Bad situation, so-called. Evil situation, so-called. As you can through everything working perfectly for you. And that's a little bit connected to being able to recognize God in a situation. See, I don't believe God sends evil situations. I don't believe God makes people sick. I don't believe God does horrible things to people. But in the our fallen culture, and I'm talking about world culture, there's some inevitabilities about bad things happening. But God can navigate you through those things. He can reveal things even through some of some of the deepest wounds and hurts you have that God didn't intend for you to have. Also provide a depth in your being to contain the goodness and mercy and power of God in a way that you would never have experienced if you hadn't gone through the negative encounter. What am I saying? I'm saying this. While God does not send that stuff, he is such an amazing king. He can do something for you in that place that would actually be better than anything else he could have done for you if that had never happened. That's the kind of king Jesus is. Isn't that good? Might be hard to see, but that's, that's really good. Well, I think that's enough. Everybody okay? How many of you like the Jesus I'm talking about? <laughs> I was talking to Donna the other day, and we were, we were talking. We were saying, you know, we've known the Lord all these years, and it's like he's really still a mystery. The way he really is. But, you know, I've never, ever found out he's worse than I thought. I thought about this when John Mark was talking about tithing, so this whole human condition. Uh, Chris Vallotton said one time, 
he's a pastors with Bill Johnson out in writing. He said, no one ever asked me if I believed in tithing because they wanted to give more. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> All right, that was awesome. Um, you know, think about Jesus when he was... When he was uh, Speaking the Beatitudes, he said, blessed are the peacemakers, right? We like, and we really like that, but the people he was speaking that to didn't like that very much because they didn't want a peacemaker. They were ruled by a uh, foreign regime, by Rome, and when they were looking for the Messiah, when they thought about the Messiah, they were thinking about someone who's going to come and, you know, militarily take down Rome and rule again like King David did, and then Jesus comes, and they hear, here's the Messiah, here's the Messiah, and he gets up, and Blessed are the people who don't want to destroy Rome. <laughs> and they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. And then he healed a bunch of people. So like, well, you know. But um, it's uh, Jesus' kingdom is something totally different. And it's really easy for us to get back into the old Roman mindset of like, we. it's about us. We got to stick up for us. We got to make it for us. And the truth is this, the Lord. He is the king. He's not going to be the king. And the reason he rode into town on a donkey is because he didn't need, he didn't need the horse. Because he, you know, the horse represents power. And he didn't need the power because he already had the power. And his kingdom was something so much different, you know, than what everyone wanted. And his desire for us is so much greater than our desire for ourselves. And we want to rule and we want people to rule for us with our value systems because it's easier to trust a person than it is to trust Jesus. And the Israelites from the beginning, they wanted a king. Give us a king. All the other nations have a king. You know. And so he gave him King Saul. And he wasn't really the king. He gave him King David. You know. And then the prophecy says that a king will come from David who will, whose throne will be established and rule forever. And that's Jesus. You know. And um, it's easy in these times to want to take on a lot of anxiety about who's going to rule, you know. But the honest truth is Jesus has ruled, and he is ruling, and he will rule. And he's not frustrated, and he's not angry, and he's not offended, and he's not nervous. Because his kingdom is a different kind of kingdom. You know what I mean? I had something important I was going to say after that. But. <laughs> but it is. Bless you, Lord Jesus. We thank you so much. And we do. We thank you that you are our king, Lord. And we can be ruled. We can be ruled by you. Oh, man. And the beautiful thing is Jesus conquered Rome anyway. <laughs> they wanted him to conquer Rome and he said he wasn't going to and then within a few generations Rome fell anyway Lord and that's the beauty of the gospel is we give it all up and you do it anyway so your way is better not just because it's the righteous way it's just the better way Lord Jesus your way is the better way Father God we want to walk in the better way we want to live in the good life we want to live in the better life. Lord Jesus, save us from this carrot in front of the donkey mentality. Save us from the...
carrot in front of the donkey mentality, Lord, and show us that. You're not just tempting us to do good, but that it is the better way. It is the blessing in and of itself, Lord Jesus. Show us that. Change our minds, because our minds are wrong. I know mine is, Lord. Change our minds. In Jesus' name. Amen. And we have ministry teams. Are they going to be over here? Where do they? Yep, over there.